How's everyone doing? Yeah, it's okay. Really honored to, to have you here. Glad to be back. It's, uh, it's great being at a church that's got a great team of people around it. And uh, just thankful for Kimberly and Brandon and Brian uh, covering the last few weeks and getting a little vacation. And how many of you had a little vacation maybe some point this summer? A few of you, and so here's what I want you to do. Um, if you didn't, or maybe you just kind of did a day trip somewhere, or you got to do something fun, I want you to talk to about two and a half, you can figure out who the half is, two and a half people right around you, and figure out, just kind of tell them, here's where I went on vacation, or one fun thing I got to do this summer. Okay, you got 32 seconds, go. All right. Now, hopefully you got to connect with some people, and maybe you got to connect with some people that are maybe new to Elements, and maybe after we're done tonight, we're, I'm going to talk for a little bit, and then we're going to worship and have communion together, and then maybe afterwards you can go grab dinner together or, or continue to talk about your vacations and just fun stuff you got to do. I want to tell you a story. I did a staycation this summer, and so we stayed here. We explored mostly just our house and neighborhood because uh, we were just kind of chilling, uh, but we did get to go do a couple fun things, and, and one of those adventures, you ever had a moment in life where it's a simple moment? But yet, maybe afterwards, it just kind of lingers with you, and you start thinking about something that's so much bigger than just what that moment was. And you're going you're gonna to think this moment was really silly. But it began to just kind of gnaw at me in my own life and things that maybe God was saying to me and things that maybe God is saying to us about a, a habit that he wants to build into us. And I want to look at that tonight. But to get at the story, I'm, I'm usually the guy that, gets the 32 ounce. And we were going up to the Diamondbacks game, right? And how many of you been up to a Diamondbacks game before? And it's a little bit of a drive from here. And so we, we, I stopped at the gas station, we fill up and we go in and I, and I go in and I, and I grab my normal 32 ounce and, and I know what you're thinking, go to QT, it's cheaper. I get that, okay? And I do that most of the time. But we're there, we're at the gas station and, and I go in to get this and then I, then I see this. And I'm like, wow. That's more. More's good. More's really good. Okay, so 32 ounce. Okay, that's my normal. That's, that's good. Like, that's good enough. You know, and to get me to Phoenix, 60. Ooh. That's just more. And then the crazy thing is I noticed the sign right above the 60, and it says 79 cents. And I'm like, wow. And I look back to the 32. The normal 32 I'm fine with. And it says $1.19. And I'm like, whoa, I've got to do it now. It's more for less. Like, it just screams, you got to do this, right? And so I look at the 32, and I'm like, I, you got to go. Um, and I grab this 60, and, and I go out to the car, and my, my son helps me engineer a straw, like a mega straw. Um, that is now from the cup holder like right up to my cheek. So as I'm driving to Phoenix, I can just lean over and like, you know, I have to fish for it a little bit with, you know, keeping my safety first, okay, eyes on the road, and I can find it, and I'm like 60. And then I get to the Diamondbacks, you know, to the garage there, and we, we get ready to go in, and I'm looking at the 60, and I'm like, wow, you've been good to me. And I realize I've only drank like that much, and there's so much left, and I just thought, well, maybe... Maybe it'll wait in the car for me. And so I left it. And then when we came back out, it was just gross. And so I had to get rid of it. But it seems like such a simple story. But over the next week or so, 
God began to, to just kind of gnaw something at me. This, this quest for more, it's all over our society, isn't it? And it's, it's way more than just a soda. It's way more than just, it encompasses so much more, this, this pull to accumulate more, to gain more. Because more is better, we're told. And so I've got to go get more. I've got to give my life to that. And this pull and this crave for more, this craving for it, is maybe deeper than we realize. Are you tracking with me? Because maybe, maybe you live in the world that I live in, and, and, and the 32 is good, but 60 is more, and it's more than just about soda, isn't it? And it's all this craving to want to accumulate and to gain and to have and to hold on to and to hoard and, and to, to just have access to. And listen, we are blessed. Friend, you might be going through struggles, and, and, we, and I pray for you, but listen to me. You are blessed to live in a land where you can have more, right? Because there are so many people in this world who don't get to choose more. And this isn't a sermon or, or a talk about more being bad, okay? It's not that. Because we live in a place where we're allowed to have more and it's okay to have things. But I, I just wonder if that pull to have more, if it can begin to crawl into more than just an attitude. And it can maybe begin to embed itself into a life and into a heart when pretty soon the, the pull to more is maybe more than we can handle. And it begins to sideline us a little bit. It's interesting to begin to look at history or just culture a little bit. Can I just give you a little bit of statistics? You think of housing, for example. Do you realize back in 1950, the average size of a house was 983 square feet? 983 square feet. Average person, average family living in a, in a dwelling like that was 3.7 people. I don't know where the .7, but 3.7 people. In 2001, the average size of a house in the United States was 2,480 square feet with 2.7, or 2. Uh, yeah, 2.7 people, one less person, but so much more space. And then we begin running out of space in the house to put stuff, right? And so we end up putting it where? in the garage or the carport, right? Or into sheds that we build out back or we, we end up doing something and then we run out of space there and so what do we do? We start getting a storage unit, right? That's off-site, that's for the secondary stuff. The stuff that didn't make the cut to get in the house. It's stuff I visit occasionally and maybe swap out but it, usually it's kind of rele relegated to the secondary spot, right? Do you realize that the self-storage industry over the last 35 years has outpaced hotels and restaurants as far as commercial real estate and investment with that. Take a wild guess how many square feet of self-storage exist in the United States. How many square feet do you think? 
2.35 billion square feet, three times the size of Manhattan Island. In the last 35 years, it's been the most expansive part of commercial real estate. This idea of accumulation of stuff becomes a way of life. How many of you have watched Storage Wars? Yeah, yeah, there's some fun, there's some weird stuff in there. But there's some fun things because here's the deal. Like people that store stuff and then they stop paying for that stuff and then it goes back to the people that own space. Think about that. They invested in space and you pay for it. And I do too. And it's interesting for them, all they did was buy space. And they pass it on because there's this accumulation for more. And, and pretty soon, stuff can not only just occupy space in our house or our apartment, it can begin to occupy space in our heart and in our soul. It's interesting, a guy came to Jesus one day and he said, hey, it's all about stuff, right? He says to Jesus, hey, would you, would you tell my brother to share his inheritance? Tell my brother to share his stuff. And Jesus says, whoa, wait a minute. What do you, I, I, I'm not judge of that. And then he says something very, very interesting. You look at it in Luke chapter 12. He says, watch out. He says to this crowd where this question has been raised, he says, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions or the stuff that he owns. Jesus says, watch out. And then he tells this story. He tells this story about this rich guy, right? And you can follow along on version if you want or in your Bible. He tells this story about this rich guy whose field just kind of has this incredible kind of just influx of things. And he has so much stuff, so much income from this field, so many, so many crops. And just he doesn't know what to do. And he's out of space. And so he says, well, I'm going to rent space. And so he actually just demolishes his barns that he has. And he builds bigger ones, right? And he fills it up. And he says, now I'm going to relax in life. And I'm just going to eat, drink, and be merry. I am set. And at the end of this parable, Jesus tells this part of the story. He says, but God said to him, you fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who's going to get the stuff that you stored up for yourself? Meaning we don't have any guarantees. And Jesus is saying, look, you, you've got your mindset set on this stuff. And it's beginning, this craving for more is actually invading you and it's hindering you from living this life that I want for you. And then he goes on, he ends with this, verse 21. This, how, this is how it will be for anyone who stores up things for himself but is not rich toward God. Jesus is making this incredible statement, friends. When he says there, there's kind of like this two possibilities, this two pursuits, if you will, in life when it comes to stuff and resources and, and opportunities that we have. And he says, look, you can go into the stuff accumulation business if you want. And you can make it about acquiring and accumulating and hoarding and, and holding onto and storing up. And you got to go find it. Then you got to replace it. And if you let someone borrow it, you got to worry about it until it gets back. And you can let that be a part of your life. Or you can kind of live with this, I'm going to be rich toward God attitude. And, and kind of take that as this pursuit. And it's either way, is what he's saying. It's one way or the other. And it's interesting in our culture. And I, I feel this. Don't you? 
this pursuit of more. More is better. And it's not that more is wrong. But can it, can it get to a place where it begins taking you around a corner that maybe you don't want to go to? And you end up becoming a person that you don't want to be. Let me ask you, do you know people like that? Where the pursuit of accumulation, of getting more, and I've got to have more, and I've got to have more, do you see that dominate their life? Now be really honest. Do you ever face that within yourself? And I know I do. I know I do. And Jesus is saying, look, there's a couple different ways. And he says the best possible way to live life is to live with this be rich toward God attitude. To, be, to go into that kind of business. And it's not that you can't have stuff. It's the fact, don't let stuff own you. Don't let that become the thing that own you. You can own stuff, just don't let it own you. And don't let it get to that place. And it's interesting when you start studying the early church, this habit, this attitude of this idea of being rich toward God is on incredible display. And it's from a group of people that really don't have a lot like you and I do. They didn't have a lot, but they lived with this, what we're going to call generosity. They lived with this generosity, this generous attitude, this generous habit that just defined everything they did. And it began to shake things up. And they lived with this notion of saying, this stuff, this stuff I have, it doesn't own me because it's really not my stuff. It's God's stuff. He's the one that's given me the opportunity. He's the one that's given me the skill sets. He's the one that's given me the experiences to get to this place to maybe get stuff. It's all his. Psalm uh, 24.1 says this, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. God's the owner. They begin to live with this mindset, maybe this simple principle that is helpful for us, friends. Live as a manager, not an owner. Live as a manager of the stuff you have whether that's your energies, your attention, your abilities, your resources, your finances, your items that you own and your possession. Live as a manager of all of that stuff, not the owner. Because the true owner is God. That's what scripture is saying over and over again. And what Jesus is saying is, look, you're gonna have this pull. This tension will exist. It's not gonna go away. And so as you live within that tension, live as a manager not an owner. And it begins saying, you begin seeing in the early church what Jesus established in this early group of followers, what began to gain momentum. Can I just read it to you? This is in Acts chapter 4 if you want to go there. There's a couple different places, Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 4, where we kind of get a snapshot of this early church, this church that Jesus established, and they begin to gain momentum in the culture in which they live, which was very much against them in a lot of ways. Very convoluted culture. Maybe a lot like what we live in. And here's how they begin to live this out. It begins to say this, uh, verse uh, 32. All the believers were in one heart and one mind. No one claimed that their, position, uh, their possessions were their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and much grace was upon them all. There were no needy persons among them, Think about that. There were no needy persons among them. From time to time, those who had lands and houses sold them, brought the money of the sales, and they put it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to anyone who had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, one whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, 
sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. This concept, this, this notion of a generous habit is so critical. It's so formative. And in the early church, one of the most one of the best habits that we see on display is these people living out of this generosity. And it wasn't just with money. They were being generous in how they lived and how they saw people and how they reacted, how they interacted, how they responded with resources, how they responded with their attention and with their focus. And this early band of followers lived with this generous habit that began to affect the people around them. So much so that in Acts chapter 2, we're told that the whole city is just blessed by them. And they have the favor of the city. Think about that. A city that is maybe opposed to what they believe in, but is not opposed to them. It's like they have the favor. Why? Because of this generous habit. How many of you have a habit? Any habit? Yeah, we've all got habits, right? They, they say it takes how many days to form a new habit? 21. 21, okay? So if we wanted to form a new habit, we would have to take 21 days, supposedly. Some of you are much sharper, and maybe in 20 days you would get it. Um, but you, to form new habits, you have to have this. We understand this. I was reading from an author uh, recently who, who just kind of talked about this notion, uh, this word I'm going to give you. He called things, some habits, a keystone habit. And a keystone habit is a habit that has a trickle effect. It has just this, it's kind of like this catalyst to other habits in your life. They talked about, for example, one of the things, if you want to work on exercise and diet and all that stuff, they said one of the simplest ways to begin and just being this catalyst of changing all these things is just food journaling. Just writing down what you're consuming. And as you do that, it has a way of, of sh showing you patterns and showing you things that you go, wow, maybe I'm going to adjust my diet a little bit. Maybe I'm going to adjust my portions a little bit. Maybe I'm going to start exercising a little bit. And just that one simple thing, what he would call a keystone habit, begins to, to, to have a trickle effect and a ripple effect across many other habits. Now, I don't think it's coincidental that the early church has a keystone habit of generosity. I don't think that just happened. I don't think that's just a, a whim that we see. I, I think the scripture writers are trying to show us something here in Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 4, that the early church has a keystone habit that is critical. Why? Because when you live with a generous heart, you don't think about yourself all the time. When you live with a generous heart, you begin noticing other people around you. You begin reaching out and meeting needs of others. It begins to change how you pray. It begins to change how you think. It changes how you see the world. It changes how you respond in conversation with people, doesn't it? In the early church, I think Jesus was extremely strategic in how he lived his life to instill and embed within the early church this keystone habit of generosity. And it began to impact and change everything. It began to have this, this effect on people and in the city and across the city that maybe people that didn't even believe in what they believed in began to say this group of, of Christians, these Christ followers, there's something unique about them. And I'm glad they're in our city 
I'm glad they're here. And it began to have this great impact. And they may not have agreed with their beliefs, but they began to agree with this idea of this generous life that they were living. And they began to talk about this all the time. It's interesting. Maybe that's why Jesus talked about money so much. You know, outside of the kingdom of God, God's purpose and his power and his presence being on display and life with him being available. That was Jesus' major topic of what he talked about, the kingdom of God. But outside of that, money was the next thing he talked about. Why? Do you ever stop to think about why? There's about 30 parables in the gospel accounts. 19 of them have to deal with money and stuff. About one in every seven verses in the gospel of Luke deals with money. Why is that? Maybe Jesus understands something about humanity. This tension of more is not a tension that goes away, is it? It's a tension that we live surrounded by all the time. And even when we think we got it, and we think we got it under control, it's a tension that will resurface. And it will resurface continually over and over because it's this pursuit of humanity to pursue more and more and more. And I can live in this accumulation business or I can live being rich toward God. And I will live one way or the other. That's what Jesus is saying. And you're going to have to manage that tension. See, it's interesting. You look at the rich young ruler, right? Comes to Jesus. He says, I've done these things. What else do I need to do to have life with God? And Jesus says, go sell everything and give it to the poor, right? Only person he ever said that to Go sell everything and give it to the poor. Why did Jesus say that? Did you ever stop to think about that? Did he say that to you? Did he say that to me? Is that how every Christ follower is supposed to react? Well, maybe Jesus was saying that to a rich young ruler because he knew that this accumulation of stuff, of I've got to get more, I've got to get more, I've got to get more, was his keystone habit. And in order to live life with God, man, that just goes in total opposition. And the rich young ruler couldn't do it. And yet Zacchaeus, right? He ripped off people left and right. He encounters Jesus. And in that moment, that encounter, he says to Jesus, I'm going to pay back the people I've ripped off four times what I took for them. And I'm going to give away half of my other possessions. And instantly you begin to see Jesus changing this guy's heart from a clutching heart to a giving heart. And there's this transformation happening and this generosity is beginning to birth and maybe becoming a keystone habit in Zacchaeus' life. And it changes everything for him. Okay, Jack, that was like 2,000 years ago, right? <laughs> it's a long time ago. What about today? Well, let me ask you a really simple question. Let me just ask you, do you think that the lure of money and of materialism and of of acquisition and, and consumerism? Do you think between then and now, do you think it's gotten weaker or stronger? Stronger. At least hold serve. It certainly hasn't gotten weaker, has it? We still got 60 ounces. It's this pull. And all throughout the Bible, Scripture is saying, make generosity a keystone habit. We have a value that we care about here at Elements, that justice, love, and mercy always pushes darkness away. This idea that we will be a church that puts God's hope 
and his generosity on display. That's why we've done uh, the year-end offering we did last December for Arizona Baptist Children's Services. And we took 20% or, or 50% of our tithe and we said, hey, we're going to give this away. And you guys gave to that. We've done uh, food drives with that. We did the backpack drive. I was just at TCC before I came here. I just wanted to go by and see it. And I'm looking across the room, the exhibit hall there, and it's got to be 4,000 people in that room of just people filing by and getting backpacks. And I see kind of some of ours there and I'm like, how cool is this that we get to, to be a part of this? Friends, you are so generous. And what if when we say we want to bring the hope of Jesus to the heart of our city? What if that isn't just about having doctrinal statements and having our beliefs in a row? That's important. It's critical. But what if, what if we just lived as generous people? the best we can, and as situations arise, we live that and with one another, and then we begin to live that in a way that our city begins to see that. See, I don't, I don't think the Spirit of God just did that one time. I don't, I don't think that was just for the first century. In fact, to be really honest, I, I wonder if that's why the church doesn't have a voice in our culture, because we're so entrenched in ourselves sometimes that we don't live with a generous heart for a city to see. And we don't do it even among ourselves sometimes. And I wonder, friends, if we began to live that way, to actually in our eagerness and in our, in our spaces and our connections with friendships one to another, that we began to care for one another in a way that not only no one was in need, and it doesn't mean, I know there's so many different things with that, and I don't know all the answers to it. I just know when people feel valued and cared for, they feel loved. And they sense that maybe there is a God of love who loves them, who cares about them, who knows them. And what if we begin to live that way more and more, and we begin to find opportunities to put that on display for our city to see? Think about it. The early church lived with this generosity. They were generous with their attention. They cared about people around them. They were generous with their focus. They were generous with their time. They were generous with their resources, with their finances, and the way that they could minister to the people that were there that were a part of this early group of followers, and other people noticed that, and it began to change them. See, when you don't own your own stuff, when you live as a manager, not an owner, then you live with this capacity to begin to have this attitude, I'm gonna be rich toward God. And it doesn't mean I can solve every world problem or every community issue that there is. It just means that maybe I can solve the issue that God brings in front of me and that opportunity. And I can say, I can fix that or I can give to that or I can give and be a part of a community that says we're gonna tackle some things and do stuff that's bigger than us. I wanna be a part of a church like that, don't you? that the city begins to say, what if, some of, what if some of the people in our city began to hear the word Element City Church and one of their first inclinations was, man, those are generous people. And it's not just with money. I'm not talking just financial. But they just, they, they give. Their first inclination is to give. You know that your heart is forming to become more and more like God's when your first inclination is to give. Not, it's not your last resort. And begin to live with this idea. Can I give you just a couple benefits of that? 
some practical benefits. I think when we begin to live with generosity, we begin to live and, and recognize, helps us maybe relearn over and over because this tension doesn't go away. It helps us relearn that the best stuff in life isn't stuff, right? And, and I know I, I get that. You know, on some level, we all get that. Okay, that's a nice bumper sticker. That's great. But the truth is, I know this in my own heart, that the, the act, to want to go and get more stuff all the time, it's just always there, isn't it? And, and it's not that you can't. It's the fact of, of saying, God, is this what you want me to do? Is it okay with you? Do you, want, do you have a different need that you want me to give to? That the, the drive and the, and the nature of the human heart is this drive where our culture wants to take us to this, I've got to acquire more and more and more, and our love for money is a dangerous thing. Jesus said you cannot serve both God and money. He said you can't do it. It's not a balancing act. You have to go and live with this generous heart. So let me ask you, how are you doing at sharing? Because sharing's a difficult thing, right? Any preschool teachers here? Sharing is a challenge for kids, right? Maybe you got little kids at home, and sharing is this deep, deep challenge, and that cry of mine echoes across every playground, right? Listen, it echoes in the hallways of the older, too, doesn't it? Remember Nemo and the birds? What'd they say? Mine, 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 mine. That, isn't that part of the subculture of, of the tension that we all live in? This quest that I've got to have more and this love to say I've got to, I've got to find this. I've got to have this. I've got to hold on to it and I can't let it go because it's mine. And Jesus is saying that, that's a short-lived way of approaching life and it's hollow and it's actually you'll feel imprisoned by that because it'll never be enough. And don't we see that in our culture? People who seem to have it all, right? And in the midst of having everything, they're hollow and empty. And what do they say? I don't know. It's just empty to me. I have everything. And that's what's held up as the good life. But the truth is, it's a hollow life. It's not wrong to have stuff. But when that's your everything, well, then you've gone into the stuff accumulation business and you've missed out on these being rich toward God opportunity and having this attitude. See, generosity helps us relearn that the best stuff of life isn't stuff. Generosity also helps generate humility. It keeps us humble to realize that life isn't just about mean about acquiring and getting and gaining and holding on to and I'm going to hoard it it's not just about me it creates this humility there's an interesting phrase in Acts chapter 4 that comes up uh, twice in there that from time to time people would take their houses or fields or things they owned and they would go and sell it see this isn't saying that everyone in that early church community took a vow of poverty and they just all live with the same status that's not what it's saying here what it's saying is they were very much like you and I. Some people had some, some people had less, and that was just the way it was. But from time to time, people just invested. They did something, and they laid it at the apostles' feet. You'll read that twice. 
Why? Well, in, in a Greek-Roman world, people gave money to things, didn't they? And it usually got a statue by it, right? Their statue. Or it usually got their name on it, right? And what these early group of followers said is, this isn't about me. This is about the dream and the story of what God's building here. And I'm giving up control of that. And I'm giving into God's story. And God's going to use that and manage that and move us in a way that he needs it to go. Generosity keeps us humble. And it doesn't let us get to a place where it's all about me. See, this pursuit of getting and giving are both contagious, aren't they? This pursuit of getting, that's what our world kind of portrays. I've got to get more. I've got to accumulate. I've got to hold on to. I've got to have. I've got to store it up. And that's contagious, isn't it? But see, this pursuit of giving, of being rich toward God, of being open-handed and not clutching, that's also contagious. And we see examples of it all the time. And you're a part of it. You're a part of it as you give to this church. You're a part of it as you do things like the backpack drive. You're a part of it as you reach out in individual ways and you give in opportunities that God brings across your path. And listen, you don't have to do it for everybody because you can't. But the opportunities God brings across your path, you can. And as you do that, it begins to grow. Because here's what you know. Generosity is God's keystone habit. You can't help but look through all the scriptures over and over and over again. And God just gives all the time, friends. What is creation? What is creation? It's God's gift. It's God's gift. And he creates humanity and he places in us. It's just, it's yours. It's yours. It's what Isaiah 55 says, where the prophet is saying, look, you want to know about the salvation of God? You come and drink. You come and eat. You don't need money. You come and get the things that God's saying, and it will satisfy you. You get all the way to Revelation. and the end chapter, chapter 22, verse 17, it says this spirit and the bride. Who's the bride? The church. The bride is always the church. The spirit and the bride say, come. Let anyone who hears come. Let anyone who is thirsty come. Let anyone who desires to drink freely from the water of life, let them come. Why? Because God is so generous. John 3, 16, anyone? For God so loved that he gave. See, that's what love does. It just gives. It's the best part of love. It just lives with this generosity. That says, I, I want to give in ways that I can do. I want to give with my attention. I want to give with my time. I want to give with my resources. I want to give with my abilities. And you know if God's keystone habit is generosity, if that's one of his keystone habits, you know it's being formed in you more and more year after year if your first inclination to a need is you want to give versus it being your last resort and you have no idea want to. And as you grow in that, you are having generosity grow as a keystone habit in your life. And so what I thought we'd end with tonight is uh, we're going to take up an offering. Awkward. You all seem very excited about that. 
We're going to take up an offering and, uh, in just a moment. And I want you to actually, <laughs> you all are freaking out. <laughs> this is a different kind of offering. In fact, you're not going to give us anything. We're going to give to you. Anyone uh, know what this is right here? Just tell everybody what that is. $100 bill. $100 bill. We are not giving you this. Um, <laughs> we're a church. We're not crazy. <laughs> but we want to give to you tonight. And so in just a moment, we're going to have some people pass around uh, some, some things where you could take, and here's the deal. Take one. Don't rip off a church. It's a bad way to start the week, okay? Just take one. And what I want you to do is you're going to hold this with you. It's a dollar bill, okay? And there's a phrase on that dollar bill that we all know. It's usually underneath the president. What's it say? In God we trust. Do we? Ooh. So here's, here's what I'm going to challenge you with this week. Here's your activity to go. You're going to take that dollar, okay? You're going to put it in your pocket or in your purse, and you're going to carry it with you this week. And every time you see it, I want you to think, I'm a manager, not an owner. I'm a manager, not an owner. This is, this is God's stuff. This is all God's. And I want to live with this generous habit. And maybe this week you're going to be in a situation where um, you're going to be able to take that dollar and you're going to be able to meet a need. Maybe you're going to add a few dollars to it. But you're going to give it away. Okay? Don't hold on to it. You're being given to in order to give. You're going to practice generosity this week. Maybe it's going to be an extra tip uh, at your server's table. Maybe it's going to be that you're going to see a need in, in, in a situation that you come across and you're going to maybe add a couple dollars to it and you're going to meet a need. Maybe you're going to see a friend that needs something or, or I don't know what that would be. But here's what I would love for you to do. To pray every, just every morning that you have it. Just say, God, how would you want me to share your resources this week? How do you want me to share? Because sharing's a challenge at times, isn't it, friends? And so this week, just say, God, how are we gonna share your resources? How can we bless the people around us? And so in a minute, as we get ready to take communion, um, if you got that, you can pass those out. If you're part of the people that are handing that out, go ahead and do that. And so you're gonna take this with you this week, and you're gonna hold it, and you're gonna say, I wanna give. I want to be a person that lives with generosity as a keystone habit in my life. And I want to, to be a part of a group that says, God, the best we know how, the resources that you give us, we want to use that to give. You know, what you give here to Elements makes a difference. It's part of what Brian was saying earlier, what helps us move. It's what helps us not only do this and make all of this happen and provide a place for us to worship and to be fueled up to go live this week, but it, it provides us opportunities to go do some things in our city that maybe in a year or two or three down the road, our city would say when they hear Element City Church, they would think those are, those are generous people. Wouldn't you love that to be one of the first things that pops into their mind? Man, those people are generous. They're generous with their time. They're generous with their abilities. They're generous financially. They're generous to give back. I think that would be so cool because I don't believe the early church was meant to be this microcosm of one and done. I really believe that the Spirit of God wants to breathe on groups of people and his followers even today 
that they were of one heart and one mind. And there were no needy people among them. They were noticed and they were known. And they began to live in such a way that people found favor in them, even if they didn't believe in what they believed in. But there was something about the way they lived that was inspiring to them. And the Lord added to their number daily, it says in Acts chapter two. So Father, that's what we pray for. And tonight, as we move into communion and worship, we remember that God, generosity is your keystone habit. We want it to be ours. And God, there's this tension that will always exist. It's a tension we have to manage. It's not a problem we're gonna solve and fix. But we wanna be a people that live with a generosity and a generous heart, that it becomes a habit in our life, that our first inclination, our first reaction is to give, not to hold that out as a last resort. So Father, would you uh, grow us as a church? Would you use this simple dollar? And I know it's so simple, it seems so small, but God, if we know anything about you, it's that you have this ability. It's all small to you. You own everything. So there isn't any gift we can give you that's marvelous or unbelievable. God, you own everything. But you have a, a, an incredible ability to take small and to multiply it to do incredible work. And so, Father, would you do that in the, the hundreds of opportunities we have before us this week to invest a little bit and to give back. And I pray that that would continue to be a habit for us as a church and us individually. And so we remember your son and the generous gift that you gave us in his life and his death and his resurrection. As we worship you, would you stir our hearts to be a better reflection of you? Be with us in these moments.